Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Oh my goodness. It's great to be here in the house of the Lord this morning. My name is Jonathan Siebert. I'm the children's pastor here at Faith Assembly. We've been in a family series for the past few weeks here at Faith, and it's been really cool to hear all these amazing things coming from the hearts of our pastor about the importance of family and the importance of every single role of the individual within the family. Now, the clip we saw earlier is a really fun clip. I was wondering how many of you guys are able to relate to that. Maybe your mom was a smother, if you will. Maybe you found yourself exhibiting smother qualities from time to time, whether or not you are proud of it. Now, today we're talking about love. The next room of the house we're going to be talking about within this whole series of families, the playroom. We're talking about how to raise godly kids. We're talking about having fun as a family. We're talking about how the importance of all of these things in the family. Now, really quick, I want to get a show of hands of how many families in here have had a kid in the past six months. If you've had a kid in the past six months, do we have any of you guys in here? We have a few of you in the back. Now, if you have kids under the age of 10, raise your hand if you have kids under the age of 10. They're probably in the kids' ministry right now, tearing things apart as we speak. Awesome. Raise your hand if you have teenagers. Do we have any parents of teenagers in the house? I'm sorry. Uh, any college students? Any parents of college students? Congratulations, and also sorry for your bank accounts. Um, and now raise your hand if you have any kids that are married and out of the house. Anybody? Congratulations, you guys did it. You're done. You can relax. Now, just go ahead and turn to your neighbor and say, being a parent is crazy. Being a parent is crazy. Now, my wife and I, we've been married for three years now, and we don't have any kids yet. But we do have four pets. Now, I can say that in the same sentence because that's how crazy parenting is, isn't it? Toddlers and puppies have way too much in common. Now, if you've ever had one or the other or both of them at the same time, which would be horrible, you probably notice yourself saying a lot of the same sentences to both of them. Things like, stop licking that. What is in your mouth? What are you eating? Did you poop on the living room rug? Who did that? They're crazy. They chew on everything. They act like their feet are too big for their bodies. They make weird noises. They're loud smells that you have no idea where they're coming from. You have to tell them to stop barking. Getting them to take a bath can be an absolute nightmare. And as they get older, it gets worse. Middle schoolers are just toddlers in giant bodies. But we love them. We love our kids more than anything in the entire world. No matter how much we love our kids, though, it doesn't prevent them from growing up in this crazy world. Just having kids is crazy. You guys know that. Now, some of you guys, if you raise your hand, you had kids in the last six months, you may have fallen asleep when we dimmed the lights for the announcement videos. Some of you guys have six kids under six years old and just making it through a day where you didn't lose anyone. That's a successful day. (laughs) Having kids is crazy. Growing up, my younger brother and I, we would eat everything. We just pick things up and eat them. Now, I stuck to like the two main preschool food groups, sand and Play-Doh. Those are my jam. I'd usually find myself eating one or the other. We didn't go to the beach much. It was a dangerous place for me. My brother, he would pick candy off the street and eat it. 
Now, I'm scared of becoming a parent because of things like that. Like, if my kid picks up candy off the street and eats it, I'm like, all right, we're done here. I, I have failed as a parent. But what can you do? That's parenting. Now, the thing is, we all want to make a difference. No matter where we are in a family, we want to make a difference if we're a kid. We want to make a difference if we're a parent, if we're a spouse. We want to be difference-making parents, part of a difference-making family. But it's hard. Because becoming a difference maker doesn't happen accidentally. It takes intentionality. Intentionality is one of the things we're talking about this morning. Because intentionality is required in order to become a difference maker. And the intentionality that's required to become a difference making family requires a perspective shift. See, we all have perspectives. These are things we use to view life. These perspectives we use, we use them to parents. These perspectives are how we are the spouse that we are. They're how we're the coworker we are, the friend that we are. There's perspectives that we have or which we use to do everything. But the thing about our perspectives is that they've been infected. They've been infected by the issues of this world, the issues of our parents. They've been infected by the stresses and the struggles of life. These issues have all infected our perspectives, which we use to do everything. And if we're not careful, we can even project and we can cast or associate these issues to God. And what we find is that these issues, they bleed over and they attack the view of God, our Heavenly Father. And the reality is, our perspective directly affects our view of God. Which in turn has a direct effect on our ability to be the parents, the families that God has called us to be. Right now, if you guys go ahead and get out your Bibles, if you're following along, we're going to be reading from John 3.16 this morning. It's a very common scripture. It's the very first Bible verse I learned. But there's one word in here that we're going to pull out, we're going to talk about, and it's kind of an unexpected word. Today, I want to give you guys a reminder, a window, to realign the perspective of our God, our Savior, and then we're going to get practical. Would everyone go ahead and please stand for the reading of God's word this morning? John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You guys may be seated. Now the first perspective shift and reminder this morning that we must understand to become a difference-making parent is that God is love. God is love. Now with all of our struggles— With all of our issues, with all the craziness of this world that we live in, we must come back to the central message that God is love. See, we get this messed up. It's easy, but we get it messed up because of our views. We get this messed up because of our past, because of our religion. But what we must know and continue to get is that God is love, and he is deeply in love with humanity. Man, God, he can't even help himself. God doesn't have love that he gives out. He doesn't do love because God is love. Love is not the God or the deity that we worship, but God is love. And God could do no more than deny himself than to stop loving humanity. You could even say that God is obsessed with love. John 3.16, it doesn't say that he loves the world. There's a very important word in there. It says he so loves the world. That word so says he so loves the world. That word so is why he gave his only son. Because he so loved the world. 
That word so, I imagine it's stretching on like you just kept pressing the little O on the keyboard over and over and over and over again. It kept running over and over. And you have an entire page filled up with just O's. God so loved the world. Now, did anyone in here grow up with a mom that so loved their children? That so loved you? Kind of like the smother we saw in the clip earlier. Now, Many of us did grow up with a smother, um, a mom that may have been a little overbearing, um, very concerned about different things. Um, growing up in my house, I didn't grow up with a smother. Uh, my dad was actually the smother of the house. Now, I have no idea what you would call that word. I'm not even going to try and make up a word. But my dad was the smother. Now, the reason for this is my mom, she grew up on a farm in rural Michigan. And if you got hurt, you fixed it. She was in the fields working all day, doing all kinds of crazy farm things. I grew up in the suburbs. I have no idea what you do on a farm. Um, but she did all that kind of stuff. So she was not very smotherly. My dad, on the other hand, he grew up in the city, and he was very, could use my words carefully, very concerned about my safety. Now, concerned about my safety to the point where he would go to any length to make sure I was safe in every single situation. Now, this sounds caring, but let me explain to you some of the lengths which we went to. We had a rope swing in our backyard growing up. I had to wear a helmet if I wanted to use it. <laughs> I'm not joking. When we went anywhere near water, I had to wear a life jacket, even if I was surfing. Horribly uncool. I had to wear safety goggles anytime I pretty much did anything. Like, I'm not even going to give examples because safety goggles were always on. Um, Earmuffs to protect ears. Oh, he was so worried about our hearing. He wasn't a fan of guns, not because of their inherent dangerousness, but because of how loud they were. Like, he was so overly cautious about everything. It was just his, his goal to protect me and my brother no matter what. But the one thing that always stands out to me more than anything else that perfectly exhibits how much of a smother he was is when it came to ironing. Now, let me explain. He would reiterate over and over and over again that while you were ironing, you had to have shoes on. This was like a rule in our house. And if he caught you ironing without shoes on, you were going to be in trouble. And he can never explain this rule to me. And I'm one of the people that growing up, I wanted to know reason why. I needed, I needed to be told why for everything. And he can never tell me why. And I didn't understand it. It made me mad, more mad than I had to wear a helmet on a rope swing. And one day in middle school, these rules still apply. And like, they still apply now. Like, I still have to follow these rules. One day in middle school, I'm ironing and uh, didn't have shoes on, so I was trying to do it really fast so I wouldn't get in trouble for ironing without shoes on. And the bottom of our ironing board, you know, they have little rubber stoppers that prevent it from moving around on the floor. Uh, there are two boys in the house. Those are missing years ago. And so I was quickly trying to iron, and I was moving around the ironing board, and I stubbed my toe on the bottom piece of metal on the ironing board, and my foot started bleeding. Now, I'm the type of person I don't like blood really at all. Like, I cut my thumb one time and I asked my parents if I was going to die. I was like in 10th grade at that point. Um, and so I came running in to find my parents. My toe's bleeding. I don't know what to do. And I find my dad. And I'm like, Dad, my toe's bleeding. What do I do? He said, Well, how did you cut your toe? It's like, oh. uh, I was ironing. And what he said next, he said, That's why you iron with shoes on. 
He'd been waiting his entire life to use that sentence, to have justification for that rule, and he found it. But it all comes back to this point. Your parents' upbringing affected your upbringing. The way that your parents were loved affected the way that they loved you. The way that they disciplined affected the way that they disciplined you. And growing up, you start to put these pieces together. You start to notice these things and you realize this and you make a commitment. You make a commitment that you won't be like your parents. How many of us have made that commitment before? There is no way I'm going to be like my parents. I'm not going to discipline like that. I'm going to do something else. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do something else. But the reality is the kids pop out and they look like you and stuff and you want to kiss them and you want to be with them and you find yourself running down the sidelines yelling at the refs. You see the kids worship in church and you so love. It's the so loves. What are you going to do? Because it's illogical. You can't add it up. It doesn't make sense. But God so loved and he can't help himself. And I'm here today to tell you that God won't ever stop loving you. Why? It's because love is the theme of this life. Love is the main theme of our existence. It's the very purpose for which we were created. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. See, the thing is, we are the objects of his obsession. And nothing can change that obsession. You are that obsession. That scripture, God loves the world, it includes you. You are included in there. And when you realize this, you change. Your perspective changes knowing that God, the creator of the universe, who spoke the universe into existence just by speaking, recklessly loves you. And that he still loves you despite all of your issues, despite all your sin, despite all your doubts and your fears. He so loves you. But the thing is, we get busy. We get so busy. We've been around this church so much. We know all these stories so well. When we read this scripture earlier, most of you guys didn't have to open your Bible. We know these passages. We've heard these stories. But sometimes we just need to get back to the understanding that God so loves. Today, this has to be our starting point. It has to be our turning point. It has to be our ending point. It has to be our theme that he so loved. God paid the price for me. He paid the price for us because of his love. Now, to become a difference-making parent, to become a part of a difference-making family, we have to come to grips with this for our life for our issues, for our stress, for our job, for our kids. God is love. And this is messy. The fact that God won't stop, his reckless love won't stop, that he will save and he does save us from the darkest of places, that he reaches out and saves us from ourselves each and every day. And the thing is, as I begin to understand this, my perspective changes. As I begin to see God through a lens of perfect love rather than a lens of my own father, something changes. As I begin to see God through a lens of love rather than a lens of religion, something changes. And the change that happens when I stop seeing God through the lens of life and start seeing him instead through the lens that he so loves me is that I now love The second perspective shift this morning that we must understand to become a difference-making parent is that I now love. Turn to your neighbor and say, I now love. Now say, you look beautiful. (laughs) 
I can get you guys to say anything up here. The thing is, I now love, and that's amazing. And a love this pure has the potential to change everything. What if everyone in our life started sharing the same perspective? What would that change in your family? What would that change in your community? What would that change in this world? See, we want our families to have that love. We want our kids to have that love. We want our coworkers to have that love. And when we want people to have this love and we know this and when our perspective has changed, all of a sudden scripture starts becoming more alive in passages like 1 John 4.11 that say, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Passages like that that used to just be words on a page also all of a sudden now have life. They have new meaning and they, they tell us something. See, when we stand and we realize our issues, the issues that we have as a result of being an imperfect person, being raised in an imperfect world by imperfect parents, and when you realize what Jesus has done for you, when you realize that you are complete in him, that you are accepted, that you are loved, and that you are forgiven, and that nothing can ever change your position in Christ. Something wells up inside of you, and you say, I'm going to do whatever it takes to love more people. I'm going to do whatever it takes to tell more people about this love. I'm warning you, this gospel will wreck your plans. Things that you originally wanted to do, things that you had in mind for your family, all of a sudden, all of this changes. It's thrown out the window because you realize the main focus is about love. It changes everything. Our perspective changes. It goes from God is love. It is his message. It is his passion. It is his pursuit to now I love. It is my message. It is my passion. It is my pursuit. When you become a parent who understands this on a daily basis, it changes everything. It changes how you parent. It changes how you discipline. It changes your schedules. It changes how you love. Knowing this, you'll deal with your kids differently. The understanding of the true love of a father changes the way you father. It changes the way you mother. Now, all this talk about love, it's it's amazing. And it's so good to be reminded about who God is, that God is love. It's amazing to be reminded about what our goal needs to be. It's amazing to hear about all of these ways that God loves us and that he's never going to stop loving us. But what we need to understand today is how do we communicate this to our families? How do we create a difference-making family? Because it's not going to happen accidentally. How do we make this shift? Well, we're going to get practical today, and we're going to talk about some of these ways. We're going to transition and talking about values that we believe must be present in each home if we're going to have a church full of difference-making families. So let's go ahead and get practical for a few seconds. You see, we established earlier that each parent in here wants to make a difference in the life of our family. Man, that's simple. I could go around the room and talk to every single parent individually, and every answer would be the same. Every parent wants what's best for their child. Every parent wants to be able to give their child a future that is better than the one that they had. Every parent wants to be able to do anything in their own power for their child. But let me ask you a question. What would you say the goal of parenting is? It might be a question that some of you guys have never talked about as a couple. It might be a question that You've never heard talked about around a table, but what is the goal of parenting? We all probably have ideas that we think it is. 
We might have ideas that we think it's not. We might think, it, well, it's whatever happened to me. That's not parenting. It's going to be something else. But see, parenting isn't about discipline. Parenting isn't about respect. Parenting isn't about the issues of this world. It's not even about success. See, the goal of parenting needs to revolve around one central idea, and that is each child choosing a faith for themselves. That's what we want. This is why understanding that God so loves you is so critical. Because how can you show your child that God so loves if it's not even something that you understand yourself? Now, a child choosing a faith for themselves isn't something you can force. It's not something you can make happen. A child choosing a faith for themselves is something that can only be done by them. It's something that can only happen organically. And so as a difference-making family, how do we do this? How do we get a child to choose a faith for themselves? It's the million-dollar question. Man, if this is the goal of parenting, then how do we do this? There's something really simple. See, every kid is programmed to ask the question, why? As a parent of a young child, you understand this. And kids, they want to know why to everything. They want to know why is the sky blue? What is that up in the sky? Is that a plane? Is that a cloud? What are these things? They want to know why you're disciplining them. They want to know why there are rules, why they have to go to bed at a certain time, why they can't have ice cream for breakfast. They want to know why to all of these questions. And because a kid is already programmed to ask the question why, it's a God-given curiosity that's been put inside of them. If you can show a child why they matter to God, then they will be equipped to make a lasting decision to follow an everlasting God. It comes down to showing a kid why they matter to God. So how do you answer that question? How do you show a child why they matter to God? It's simple. You display values over time. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. These values that need to be displayed over time. These values that need to be present in every single home, whether your kids are two months old or whether they're out of the house. These values don't get old. These values work no matter what stage that you are in as a family. If you are a kid, it is amazing to be a part of this conversation right now. See, life transformation takes more than just a perspective change. And we can change our perspective all day long, but in order for transformation to take place, we first need understanding. Understanding has to happen first, and understanding takes time. Now, at Faith, we believe that there are six strategic values that if displayed consistently over time in your family, it will result not only in your kids, but each member of your family understanding why they matter to God. These values are the same values that our family ministry has adopted. We work with these values every single week in the lives of the kids that come through our doors, whether they're in the nursery, the preschool, the elementary, even upwards in the middle school and the high school ministries. We're promoting these values in everything we do, and we believe that if we work together, the church and the parents working together seamlessly, we can accomplish exponentially more. We believe that if we work together with you and we seek to be there for you guys in the hard times and in the good times, then we can accomplish exponentially more. This partnership will create an understanding, we believe, an understanding that God so loves your children. And if we have a church full of difference-making families that understand why they matter to God, there's no limit to what God can do in our cities and our communities. So let's talk about the first value this morning. The first value is love. 
No surprise, right? We've been talking about love all morning. The first value is love. Now, there's a scripture that I want to read to you guys from Matthew 22. Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. Now, in this scripture, it's Jesus talking and he's responding to a group of Pharisees. I feel like Jesus did that a lot in the New Testament. And in this passage, he says, the Pharisees ask Jesus, they say, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus' response is this. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now we've spent the morning so far talking about how critical a proper understanding of God's love is. We spend the morning talking about how if God is love and we understand that, that now I can love. We've talked about how God is the originator of love. How he is love. And what that means for us is that if God is love, if love is God's idea, then every person you meet, every person that has been created, has been created to need love. If we've been created to need a savior, then we've been created to need love. We've been designed to pursue intimacy. We've been wired to connect. Love matters. And when Jesus replied to this group of Pharisees in Matthew 22, he established this fact. When Jesus replied to them, he was letting them know that they had become so busy doing important things that they missed the most important thing. The Pharisees had become so busy doing important things, and the truth is the Pharisees were doing important things. So often in the Bible, we look at them and we judge them and we think, these guys had it so wrong. How did these guys miss it? They, what were they even doing with their time? Why were they attacking Jesus? But the reality is, they were doing a lot of good things. But they missed the most important thing. They missed love. When I read that, I found myself in the Pharisee's shoes. It's kind of a wake-up call because I'd always looked at these people and I just, I can never understand how they didn't get it. But when I looked at that, I realized that, man, Lots of times I get so busy doing things that I think are important, I miss out on the most important thing. I get so busy in my daily activities trying to accomplish my to-do list, and I feel great about it at the end of the day, but at the end of the week I look back and I realize, man, I missed the most important thing this week. I missed love. See, Jesus, in this moment, he was laying groundwork to get everyone on track. He was establishing that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how important anything else is, love is the most important thing. One of the most practical and greatest ways you can start investing love into your children is through discipline. Now, when you see that a a rule is broken, that's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to prove love. When, you, when your child or when your teenager breaks a rule and you show up anyway, you communicate unconditional love. See, that's what God did. That's what he did with us. See, God gave us the rules and we broke them. He gave us the rules again and we broke them again and we break the rules every day. But what does God do? He shows up anyway. When we make rules for our children, we prove that we care. And when they break the rules, which they will, And when we show up anyway, we prove to them we still care. We prove to them that they have worth. See, kids, they desperately need adults in their life who will love them in a way that will convince them that they are worth something. 
There's a lot of really exciting technology out there that allows us to explore different parts of the brain and kind of how the body works in ways that we've never been able to before. Now, there's a different type of way we can look at the brain. It's called brain mapping, and we're able to look at basically how emotions affect a person's being. Now, researchers have been using this technology, and they did a study, and what they discovered is that there's one thing in the life of a child that affects every single part of their growth and development. It affects their emotional maturity, It affects their physical growth. It affects every single part of their being. And that one thing is love. This is a secular study. This isn't coming from a Christian researcher. This is coming from the outside world. And the Bible says it's true. And the world says it's true. We know that the Bible tells us that love is the most important thing. And now the world is out there saying that your child is actually physically dependent on love. So how much more physically dependent would they be on a true love, on the love of a heavenly father, on the love of a difference-making parent? See, the thing is, love over time is the one thing that's going to matter most. Now, there's another value this morning that we're going to talk about, and it's words. Words. Now, in Genesis 1, chapter 3, God said, Let there be light, and there was light. The first word spoken. Let there be light, and there was light. There's something powerful to be said for the first word spoken in the Bible. Let there be light. See, in the Bible, everything started with a word. Creation started with the word. And the thing is, we all know that words are powerful. We've all heard that. We all know that there is power in our words. We know that what we say matters, but we all have a tendency to underestimate the weight of our words. Now, in Australia, there's a tribe of Aborigines whose language is all directionally related. For example, if you wanted them to hand you a plate, you'd have to say, hand me a plate to the west of your cup that is north. It's pretty confusing language, especially for someone that isn't great with directions. I would never be able to learn that language. Directions is my absolute weakest point of anything. Like, I am so bad at directions, it is not even funny. There was one time I was trying to get downtown. And I accidentally got on the Cooper River Bridge. I know. And you can't turn around on the bridge. They make bridges like that. And I had to take it all the way down, came all the way back, got back on the interstate. I was like, all right, doing good. I'm going to hit this. Got back on the bridge, had to come all the way back again. I accidentally made it on the Cooper River Bridge twice, back to back, knowing exactly where I was headed. That's how bad I am with directions. Now, I don't know why I'm trying to convince you guys why I'm bad with directions. The point is about these aborigines. Now, this tribe is known for their excellence in navigation. This excellence is because they constantly think about direction. They're constantly thinking about, they think about direction because they use directional words. Every time you speak, you're reinforcing your kid's vocabulary. You're giving them words that will shape how they see the world, how they see themselves, and even how they think about God. Your words will help them imagine and understand the things that they don't see so they can keep moving in a good direction. See, words, they shape perceptions. We've been talking a lot about perspective and perceptions this morning. Words have the power to turn on the light in someone else's life. Words can be used to love or to scorn, to encourage or tear down, to illuminate or to shut out. 
And the thing is, it's not about using big words. It's about using intentional words. If you want a kid to know that they matter, it matters what words you use. When you talk to them, when you talk about them, it matters the words that you use. The words that you use help kids reason. The words that you use help kids win. It helps them believe. God gave us words so that we could share them over time to communicate love, to build each other up, and to move others in better directions. Words over time can impact someone's direction in life. Our next value this morning is stories. Stories, this is one of my personal favorites. Psalm chapter 78, verses 2 through 4. It says, I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. See, the Bible, it's, it's not a book. The Bible is a library of 66 books, written by 40 different authors over a period of 1,600 years. The people who wrote it ranging from nomads to kings, priests to fishermen. Yet all of its stories connect to tell one story about God and his love through us over time. See, we have the opportunity to tell the story to the next generation in a way that's going to captivate their imagination. We have the ability to tell the story of God and his love in a way that's going to move others to fall in love with the same God, with the God who created the story and invited them to be a part of it. Because stories over time, they shape someone's perspective. And God, he created time as a platform. He created time as a platform to prove that he loves us unconditionally. And he designed stories so that collectively over time, they could give us a deeper perspective of him and his love for us. Our kids need to hear stories. They need to hear stories of God and his faithfulness in your life. They need to hear stories of how God has moved in your family's life. They need to hear what God has done throughout history in the life of your family. These stories are your greatest testimonies and they prove that we serve a living and a loving God. They need to hear stories from the Bible Stories that encourage God's faithfulness over time. Stories that instruct and provide direction. Now, somewhat unexpectedly, kids also need to hear fiction stories. Now, let me explain. You see, Jesus, he used fictional stories, parables, all the time to illustrate messages. He used them to make points and communicate truth. Now, any method that Jesus did is obviously worth trying to replicate. Now, interestingly enough, there have been about 15 years of research kind of in this field of kids and stories. Now, something fascinating that came out of it is that researchers discovered that the more fictional stories a kid hears while they're a kid, the greater their empathy will be as an adult. Because stories have a potential to make you feel what someone else feels. The thing is, growing up, I heard a lot of stories. My, my dad was overly protective, but it was because he cared. It was from a place of love. He told a lot of stories, too. See, he believed in sharing stories. He told stories of our family's past, and he told stories of how God had specifically worked in his life. He told stories of miracles that he had seen. He told stories of times where he had prayed and things had happened. He told stories that he made up, but that pointed me back to the love of God. Now, the thing is, 
Those stories that he told, those are a part of my testimony now. Because you see, the thing is, I don't have a testimony where I came from a life of drugs, where I came from a life where I needed this radical, redeeming thing that had to happen because these stories were present in my life from the time I was young and I grew up believing in a God that was bigger than myself. I grew up believing in love because of stories that I heard. See, as a kid, there's a lot of things that you don't understand about the Bible. There are a lot of concepts that are difficult for you to understand. Their reasoning isn't completely developed until you become older as a child. And so you need stories to help you grasp these wondrous concepts of this amazing God that we serve. Stories are critical in our kids' lives. The stories that you tell matter. Whether you're sharing a story from the Bible, you're sharing a fictional story, or you're illustrating a point to show God's faithfulness in your life. No matter the story that you're telling, you're inviting kids and teenagers into a bigger narrative. You're inviting them into a story where they have been designed to play a significant role. When Jesus, when he told stories, he appealed to the imagination. He told stories that connected to the group of people that he was speaking with. He wanted to get their imagination going, and he appealed to the imagination, and then he invited us into action. The way Jesus told stories is amazing. And as parents and as leaders and as people that are in families and work with kids, we can learn from that and do the same. Because stories over time, they imagine, they move us to imagine a world beyond ourselves. Now the next value this morning is groups. Groups is an amazing value. It's one that our church is wholeheartedly behind in every single area. And Luke 15, we hear the story of the prodigal son. Now, this is another story that we've all heard. We know that the son decides to go ahead and take his portion of the inheritance that was going to be given to him by his father. And he selfishly, he runs away and he foolishly spends his money and he becomes poor and he becomes destitute and he has nowhere to go, nowhere to live. He has nothing left. He's penniless. He's made the worst mistakes of his entire life and he has no other place to go but back home. And when he decides to come back home, as he's approaching the property, as his father sees him in Luke chapter 15, verse 22, what his father says is one of the most incredible scriptures. His father says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. See, the story of the prodigal son is more than a story about redemption. It's one that sends a clear message about the importance of groups. See, when the son returned to the father, instead of facing rejection, Instead of being lectured or shunned, he was met with an embrace. The Bible uses that word embrace. He was embraced by his father. And according to his dad, my son was lost, but now he is found. This sentence, and what the father did next, carries so much weight. You see, the father wanted to send a clear message to his son. He wanted to send a message that there is still a seat at you, a seat for you at our table. This is a place where you are known, where you are welcome, where you are forgiven, where you belong. The father, he gave him a ring to remind him that he was still a part of the family. And he threw him a party to remind him that he still had community. And there was still a place where he belonged. At faith, groups are how we grow. We believe groups matter because they're one of God's primary ways to communicate his love for us. Kids and teenagers need people who know them, who welcome them and forgive them over time so that they will know they belong. Because we all want to be known by someone. We all want to know that regardless of whatever failure we have in our life, whatever mistakes we've made, that we still have a place to belong and that people who believe in us, 
Groups do this for us. Groups, they emphasize belonging. And this idea of belonging is what makes our faith as Christians distinctive because the sense of belonging is rooted in the concept of grace. So your family, that's your first small group. Your family is your first small group and grace needs to be a priority in your family. But now we also, we need to branch out. We need to branch out and become a part of other groups too because life wasn't meant to be done alone. And when we become a part of other groups, we're able to see an even larger scale what this sense of belonging looks like, what grace looks like, what love looks like. Because groups over time, they show us how we belong. And the next value this morning is fun. Fun. We have a lot of fun in kids' church when we hang out with our kids every single week. The youth have fun every single Wednesday night and Sunday night. Fun is a huge part of what we do at Faith Assembly. We firmly believe in fun. And Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10 says, For the joy of the Lord is your strength. How many of you guys believe that this morning? That the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is something that's incredibly unique because true joy is something that cannot be obtained by this world. True joy can only be found in Christ. We were made to enjoy and to be enjoyed. Simply put, we were made to have fun. We were made to have fun. See, we serve a fun God who created fun. And if we fail to communicate that to our kids, they grow up thinking that they serve a boring God and they're going to find fun somewhere else. See, the thing about fun is that it's a connector. Fun can be used to connect your kids to God and to your family, or fun can be used to connect your kids to the world and to sin. Fun is a connector. Now, fun is one of the most effective ways as a family to stay connected. So in the most effective ways to stay connected to your kids, because we were made to have fun and we were made to have fun together. This is one of the areas where the playroom becomes so important in our families. Having a space carved out in your week. A place in your home, a place in your family where we're just going to have fun together. There's nothing else on the table. It's just about pure time to have fun together. Because the thing about fun is that it's powerful. Fun displayed in your family has the ability to authenticate forgiveness. It has the ability to reconnect what has been disconnected. Fun is powerful. Fun breaks down walls. It repairs damaged relationships. It can be the bridge and the connector that rebuilds trust. See, it's hard to fake forgiveness. That's why Romans says, show mercy cheerfully. Cheerfully. See, kids may not truly believe you forgive them until you're willing to have fun with them again. Everyone, this is simple. If you make fun a habit in your family, things are going to start to change and you will see it. Now, man, having fun in your family, this can take shape a bunch of different ways. Loosening up a little, moving more, ditching the agenda. Learn what your kids like to do. I guarantee you guys, you start making fun a priority, things are going to change. Whatever you guys do this week, make it fun because fun makes relationships go deeper. Now, the last value we're going to talk about this morning is time. Now, time's been kind of a reoccurring theme throughout everything we've been talking about this morning. We talked about time when we talked about love. We've talked about how all of these things need to be done over time. And Psalm 90, 12 says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Throughout history, God has used time strategically. It's as if God decided, I can help you 
understand something over time that you can never truly understand in a moment. There are 936 weeks every family has with their kid from birth to graduation. 936 weeks. When you put it in that perspective, time all of a sudden becomes a lot more real, doesn't it? Now start thinking about where you are with your family, how old your kids are, whether you've just had one, they're in elementary school, maybe they're even out of the house already. How much time do you have left to be this difference-making family in the life of your kid? See, Psalm 90 lets us know something. When you know how much time you have, you tend to do more with the time that you have now. What you do every week matters if you keep on doing it. The time that you spend with your family, it matters. If it takes time over time to make history, what history do you want to write for your families and for your children? See, the truth is it takes time over time to show someone why they matter to God. It takes time over time to show your kids why they matter to God. And as we close this morning, I want to reinforce that whatever matters will matter even more over time. That what you do every week has the potential to give kids a better sense of worth, a better sense of belonging, connection. What you do this week has the ability to give your kids direction and give them a healthy perspective. This perspective we were talking about that the world has infected. There's perspective we were talking about that when we learn what it truly means that we have a God that loves us unconditionally, that we have a God that so loves us, that loves us so much that he'd be willing to give up his one and only son. Your kids understanding this, it starts with what happens in the home. It starts what happens in your family. It starts with what happens in the playroom. Are you telling your kids stories? Are you sharing words of encouragement with them? Have you made a space in your week to just have fun with your family? Is discipline more important or is love more important? What are we doing? See, if it takes time over time to make history, then it takes each of these values. It takes love, words, stories, groups, and fun over time to make a history worth repeating. Because at the end of the day, love without time, that's just infatuation. Words without time are just words, nouns and verbs. They don't mean anything. Groups without time, that's just familiar faces. Fun without time is just a game and stories without time are just accidental. And today isn't about cutting everything out of your family schedule. It's not about throwing away the handbook and starting from scratch. It's not what it's about. This isn't meant to discourage. Today is about affirming you as a family and encouraging you to do more with the time you have now encouraging you to make the most of every opportunity, to look for spaces in your week to implement these values, to look for ways that you can make these a habit, to make these a part of who you are as a family, to implement a practical strategy that shows your children why they matter to God. And our church, our family ministry, we want to come alongside you. We want to be there for you as you navigate this process. We want to be there for you to help guide you. We don't have all the answers. We just want to be there. What you're doing this week will matter more in someone's life if you do it week after week and month after month. When you combine these values together over time, they gain collective momentum. When you combine these values over time, they make history and they build a legacy. And God, he so loved us 
And truly believing this has the potential to change everything. Truly believing that God so loved me. Truly believing that God so loved you. Truly believing that God so loved your family can change everything. Change the lives of your family, of those around you, those in your city and your community. Truly believing this can create difference-making families. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, we thank you. We thank you for the families that you have blessed us with. God, we love you. We thank you that you first loved us. And God, today I pray that we would understand your love for us in a new and an exciting way. That after today, our perspective would begin to change knowing that you so love us. God, I pray that you will empower the families and the individuals in this church to share the same love with those around them and in their communities. God, help us today to become a church full of difference-making families. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.